Hello, Julian. Hello, Mike. Welcome to Veterinary Ramblings. Tonight, we're going to talk about regenerative farming. Citizenship. And why and how we should eat less, but better. And why we should do everything we can to help Mike's grandchildren grow up in a better planet. Let's talk to Laura Hyam. Hi, I'm Mike Brampton. And my name is Julian Hope. Welcome to Veterinary Ramblings. Here we go. <gasps> da, da, da. Hello. Laura. Hello, Laura. Hello. You're right. Hey, so, so, Laura, Laura, thanks for joining us tonight. Pleasure. And, um, you do some really interesting jobs, don't you? <laughs> I've got a few and it's an ongoing sort of juggle, but they're all kind of synergistic and all about sustainability. So I have a consultancy role at an organisation called FAI Farms, the Food Animal Initiative. We're based on an organic farm in Oxford, which we now run regeneratively with cattle, sheep and laying hens. I work there remotely from Sheffield, admittedly, um, as a veterinary consultant advising food businesses on sustainability policy and their supply chains of food animals. So I mainly look after sort of the animal, um, the antimicrobial stewardship work stream and some of the animal welfare work too, which is great. I've been there for about seven, eight years now, but yeah, really, really fascinating job. And um, I've done, I'm doing a PhD um, on top of that at the Global Academy of Agriculture and Food Security Edinburgh on antimicrobial resistance and usage in chicken supply chains and also looking mm. at animal welfare as well. So again, really synergistic with my FAI job. And then yeah. on top of that, we have... Um, uh, my sort of volunteer position, I suppose, as a director of Vet Sustain, which is our new social enterprise that we've set up. So we're now a community interest company, limited by guarantee, which means we're a not-for-profit and we're intending to serve the veterinary professions, primarily in the UK, but also beyond on sustainability practices and policies that will help us to contribute to a more sustainable future very generally so um yeah exciting God. times and lots lots to juggle lots to huge juggle. Wow. amounts huge amounts and, and so many so many questions come from that absolutely Mike, you had a question instantly i think didn't you well yeah i mean regenerative regenerative farming what exactly is regenerative farming because mm. you then went on to list a number of different species with different requirements for life and in an industrial sense giving mm. us different um am i allowed to call it product at the end of it yeah yeah it's kind of a buzzword in certain sort of circles and it certainly in the farming world it's considered right. a bit of a bu bit of a buzzword regenerative agriculture or regenerative farming um, but of course to, to us at FAI it's much more than just a sort of buzzword or a trend it's something that's actually could provide multiple solutions to you know many of the challenges that we're facing around so, food production this is so, more yeah. than just crop rotation that I learned about yeah. in history yeah exactly but it can you know it can involve certain practices like that and there's some that i can give examples of things like um, adaptive multi-paddock grazing so moving animals quickly around the farm so they're not overgrazing land but they're also grazing in quite tight mobs if you like to ensure that you've got the right trampling and the fertilization of that particular piece of land before moving the mob on quite quickly within a couple of days sometimes to the next cell they, they call it usually using electric fencing and it allows the previous cell to regenerate so amazing questions come straight from that which one of the questions is moving them quickly that would presumably have an impact on the parasite load yeah, of the land exactly. and the parasite yeah. re-ingestion exactly yeah so for me, for me as a vet it's great for that it's, yeah so it's a potentially good way of breaking those kind of fluke or yeah with the helminth or uh, 
helminth life cycles. And I think uh, there's lots of potential veterinary benefits as well. So I think vets are starting to get really interested in this, but it's primarily a, a farmer driven movement, yeah. I'd say. But the whole purpose of the regenerative, I could probably should go back a few steps, is, is literally about boosting the ecology of, of our landscapes and, and regenerating them, not just sustaining them. So the word sustainability has been the buzzword of the last sort of decade or so, but actually it's been replaced by regeneration because we appreciate that actually sustaining the status quo isn't helping us. It's actually not enough. Our current practices are not are not okay actually in some in some cases so a, a sort of ethos of regenerating everything be it our landscapes our ecology our communities our sort of rural economies and uh, regenerating animal welfare in certain systems all of this is important and you can actually embed some of these pr- principles into businesses as well in terms of regenerating the team so it's, it can be um, a really cross-cutting kind of concept but it's taken hold in in the agriculture sector it's, it's come quite a lot from the states actually there's some amazing regenerative farmers there that are seeing great benefits of this type of system using livestock um, in, in the right sort of amounts and the right settings but also obviously using um, different crops as well that can be applied to horticulture and cereals production etc and often is integrated with different biodiversity features and landscape features like uh, like uh, trees and hedgerows so you can use it agroecology and silvopasture in your practices as well but it's not a you know unlike say organic or red tractor or other certified schemes telling farmers how to farm and how to you know get these boxes checked mm. it's the opposite of that it's actually saying you can do what you want on your farm do, do what you want but you have to be seeing these outcomes happen and so it acknowledges mm. that in different settings for different farmers who want to produce different types of commodities they're going to be taking on different practices that are very relevant to their local context and so it's not a checkbox exercise but it's looking at kind of ecological verification indicators if you like that tell us that actually this is working for dung beetles and other you know mm. other vertebrates and butterflies it's also working for the, the sward for you know diverse herbal pastures it's working for the for the trees and the hedgerows and it's also working for the farm team and it's working for the livestock that that who you know whose health and antimicrobial usage is as good as it can get and so it's uh, looking at the outcomes very much so rather than looking at the inputs which is more akin to what we're used to in in agriculture it's not like trying to shoehorn an upland farmer into a lowland farming grid that's right yeah it's working it's working with the environment in a controlled manner, almost to mimic, yeah, in an industrial way, the natural environment or what would be there were we not actually industrially farming the area. That's it. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Mimic is a really good word because it mimics natural processes and it accepts mm. that yes, there's a degree of human intervention there. It's not rewilding, mm. so it's not like the the NEP farming estate, which is about rewilding. It's not about which, meat, meat which is two miles away from me down the road. Oh, is it? My yeah. goodness, I'm so jealous. I'm so keen to get there. Yeah. Come and visit. Come and visit. Lovely. Lovely part of the world. Yeah, yeah. but it's, it's great. great. And, and, and you're increasing bioenrichment, aren't you, by doing that? Yeah. So absolutely. providing the, the nutrients to, to regenerate itself. It's, it. it's not dissimilar to, to a nomadic farming yeah. lifestyle. Yeah, that's right. We're just on the, yeah and some people sort of arc back to some of those quite ancient practices and i think there's some criticism i suppose from some that perhaps don't understand it that it's kind of arcing back to an old age of farming and uh, a pre-war and pre-industrial you know 
form yeah. of farming but actually it's not because it's assimilated so much of what we know now about ecology but also about how we can apply data and technology and, and kind of even drone technology can help us to look at the landscapes and see how they're regenerating it, we can bring right. in soil testing type technology as well which can ensure that we're testing organic matter and soil fertility and, and all those things as well I suppose it is talking a little bit to some um, sort of practices that have been performed by ancient cultures that know that you have to leave a landscape without a trace in some cases and I used to work um, quite a bit in, in Mongolia it was an absolute pleasure to work as part of my role in a previous life yeah I'd love I'd love to go to Mongolia I, I read yeah, I read about your uh, you, you wrote a report about Mongolia which was yeah, fascinating okay, reading yeah. Yeah, it's, and, it's amazing. Uh, I was thinking that about when you said it. Mm. Yeah, and their herders, I mean, there's quite a bit of desertification there and some areas that are overgrazed in sort of the Gobi Desert and that sort of thing. But there is also that culture amongst the herders of, of leaving without a trace. So literally, you know, filling in any holes you make, making sure you're not overgrazing and move, moving with the seasons so that you are regenerating that land. And, it, you know, some of these principles are very, very relevant to that. Mm. Um, one of the, I suppose, a big thought leader in this area is Alan Savory, who did a lot of this work over in Africa, again, moving herds on very quickly to reverse desertification in certain parts of Sub-Saharan Africa and mm, using right. dung from livestock and using this trampling and down vegetation to help it to create new organic matter to, to, and, to, and using to, that. To re-humificate, re isn't it? Not yeah, to, to, yeah, term, to, yeah, to, 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 to get create the, new topsoil, basically. Yeah, 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 yeah that's, exactly. that's amazing. And Mike mentioned earlier about the comparison with, with strip farming and leaving... Um, fields fallow we've got that old word fallow that we've, yeah. we've been using very much over the last year haven't we in this new form because furlough comes from fallow uh, um, yeah. but yeah. even even back what was it the 15th 16th century when when fallow farming first came about hang on i'll uh, ask my mum they really <laughs> i'll ask my mum hang on okay okay mum <laughs> mum do, do you remember in the 15th century <laughs> yes dear yeah, she says, she says yes, Julian. You're right. Great. You're right. There we go. There we go. <laughs> that's because we're old, Laura. Yeah. <laughs> but they, they they knew then that, that you get depleted nutrients. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so leaving leaving a field fallow, leaving it to, to lie. That's interesting. Yeah, not related that to furlough. That's so true. Mm. Yeah, I, wouldn't, I suspect it's not regenerated many souls. This furlough. I don't think it's regenerated an awful lot, has it? But <laughs> this last year. That, so that's amazing. Lot. And. And using modern techniques, looking at um, uh, sensors to look at the biological oxygen demand of, of streams mm. that that, that uh, run next to farms to see is that BOD decreasing or sort of the BOD increasing mm. um, because yeah. because of effluent. In which case, now it's time to move on because of that. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of lot of farms near us uh, the, on the Wildbrook system in Amberley have uh, BOD sensors. In the water, and they can tell when uh, when rainfall is too low for that stocking density. So they know that, mm. that the the runoff is too concentrated, yeah. and they move their their, wow. their herds on. Um, but I didn't. So I, I knew they were doing that, but I never tied them with this word re regenerative farming. And I, I find that fascinating because that, that's all aspects. That's fish farming as well, is it? It can be, yeah. So there's, yeah, there's interest in, in regenerative aquaculture as well. Again, moving away from the sustainable aquaculture world um, or word. And um, yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's emerging. I'd say that um, sustain, uh, sort of regenerative agriculture is 
plowing the furrow, if you like. But yeah, it, it, I'm sure it will follow very quickly that we look at aquaculture systems in a similar light. Yeah. I, I was going to ask you what got you interested in all this, but I'm fascinated by it now and I want to get involved. Yeah, yes. <laughs> we all need to. That's the thing. If you if you eat food, you need to be involved in, in, in the conversation. So um, it's quite interesting. There's been um, a, quite a bit of work around sort of um, the words uh, well, the difference between consumers and, and citizens, um, and this right. is called the, the, the movement called a citizen shift. This is slightly off off, off topic, but um, the citizen but, shift. Is, is this is a bit rambling, there is no off topic. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Let me ramble about this bit for a minute. But yeah, if, the, some research showed that if you addressed people as a consumer, their answer to various questions about using shared resources are quite different, as in a lot more selfish than if you address them as citizens. If you do address people as citizens, much more likely to demonstrate much more um, awareness around sharing com common property resources um, than they are as consumers. So there's this whole framing discussion about how we, we need to frame each other mm. as citizens, not consumers in the language that we use, because um, yeah, it's, it's conducive with a potentially much more sustainable and equitable society. So we do that at FAI using the word citizen in all we do. Um, whereas, you know, a lot of our clients will will, will term their customers um, consumers or whatever. And um, yeah. it's not necessarily, um, the, you know, the right way to go. So we're trying to champion that as well. So, so forgive me for this, Laura. So are you suggesting that simply by framing a title mm. will adjust behavior patterns potentially yeah yeah and it's been shown in certain sort of questionnaires around yeah around the way in which you make choices around food or other resources so yes it's it's, it's fascinating but just starting to change the dialogue mm. um in in the media etc about how we talk about each other yeah it's, it's insane but people people wow. i think you know people are you know, they're generally good people, aren't they? The majority of people are good and don't want mm. to deprive others of something. Yeah. Uh, and I think um, I think this, these language tweaks can can really help with that. So communication really matters. Words really, really matter in the way in which we um, talk about some of these subjects that, well, that are just so important. Yeah, yeah. This, is, this is almost a neuro-linguistic programming thing. Yeah, it is, isn't it? It's NLP, yeah. yeah. But do, you can do something similar to that when you have friends around for dinner. Mm. You either have the guest round. Can't remember. Can't remember doing that. The, I know, do you remember years ago we used to be able to do that? You have a you have someone you know but wasn't actually living in your bubble, and they'd come round and eat actually in your you house. Give them a hug. Oh, yeah, no, the kids the kids they will never know that. But so you're suggesting that the guest comes round to eat shared food in your house. Yeah, yes, yeah, absolutely. Than, than the guest yeah, honestly, comes round and you used to phone your mum again. It used to happen. Used to happen, and but they'd come round and and they they'd eat your food and then they'd leave. Obviously, they weren't able to do the washing up because, uh, you know, that's, that's just just not on, is it? You can't you can't do that because it's, it's not clean. No. But but actually, if if you on the other hand, in the old days, would say come round and and share a meal with us, then they'd be part of that. They'd maybe help with mm. with the putting food out on the table. They they give a hand with the washing up, and it's. Mm. It, it, it was very much how you phrased it and how you welcomed them into the house and things. Yeah, interesting. I'm vaguely remembering yeah. it was a long time ago, but I vaguely remember. I yeah, yeah. I think there's been a shift, hasn't there, from that sort of dinner party mentality of, you know, I guess the 70s really to now it being food being much more about just just eating a meal together. It's, it's there's there's so much more cultural social factors involved and. 
Um, that's why I love working in food. It's just so multidimensional and there's so much to think about and discuss. But yeah, it's it's a real social process as well that brings people together, brings mm. communities together. And um, yeah, I, I love that about food as well as just love eating it, to be honest. I'm making it. That's baking great. It, yeah. Honestly, if, I, if I didn't eat, I'd die. I think I really would. But, <laughs> but so, so having, having a sort of citizenship over eating, I see what you mean. It gets people bought into it. Yeah, they're, they're that's right. Yeah, in the that's where I was going with it. With my food. cousin, I was saying that actually, yeah. you want to get involved with it. You must get involved with it. You can because now there's, you know, I suppose the supply chain from from farm to fork has previously been the domain of um, big companies and well, farmers and big companies um, up, upstream. But now, increasing recognition that citizens are playing a, a massive part and a massive role in that conversation and driving a shift towards. Um, less but better meat, for example, plant, more plant-based diets mm. these days, but also much more interest if you, you do eat animal-based products in, in the provenance and animal welfare and sustainability of those production systems. And, and, and that voice is increasing in, in strength, I think, um, which, mm. which, is a, which is a good thing. Yeah. Uh, you've touched on something there, Laura, which, which I, I, I want, I'm going to explode this. Why not? <laughs> you, you work in food production which includes um, the production of animal protein um, for consumption. Yeah. Now, we know, okay, with all of the regenerative farming thing, that there is, there's quite a movement that suggests that we should all be, become vegetarian or even vegan. Yeah. Uh, do, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, plenty, plenty of thoughts on that. And um, share with us. Oh yeah, exactly. I'm just going to leave it there. Don't worry. Uh, yeah, it's um, to be honest, this is the probably the biggest hot topic on the Vet Sustain Facebook forum. We've got a, a Facebook page um, or Facebook group, sorry, they call the, the Veterinary um, Sustainability Forum, and I'd say it's by and large the biggest debate that's ongoing, and is and we welcome that because there has to be that forum for it. And of course, vets, whether you're in small animal practice, equine or farm animal, you, you've seen it, you've been there, you've often worked in it, and or you could you might be a massive advocate for it and all the rest. So we've got. A massive spectrum of opinion but all pretty knowledgeable on it and, and all with very diverse opinions I think um, I'm quite moderate I would say in my views um, I've worked in the food animal industry you know myself from from graduation having been in mixed practice and then um, gone through various stages I, I guess I worked in the charity sector primarily working equids but a lot of those were working indirectly with you know the animal um, animal animal source foods um, sort of sector um, and all of that so yeah indirectly um, and directly being involved in it and um, I think if you want to improve it you have to get under the skin of it and be part of it and I think there is there is a lot of room for improvement so my personal views are that that food animals play an important role in our global food system um, to varying degrees in different parts of the world some parts of the world where I've worked extensively uh, particularly sort of the global south um, lower income countries some of them some of the communities will absolutely depend on on animal-based livelihoods um, and they're a vital source of of protein, um, vital source of income, vital source of um, of employment, and, and all, all of the rest. And um, they're very multifunctional resources in those settings. And, and in many of those settings, you actually could do with more um, more animal protein going into those diets to improve cognitive function, educational outcomes, certain sort of vulnerable periods of people's lives. Um, 
such as children and um, pregnant women, etc. So there are parts of the world certainly where we we, we I think I feel that the animal source foods and, and foods and uh, animals in the food system are are vital. Mm. Um, there's other parts of the world um, certainly where we live uh, in the UK and other parts of the uh, the northern hemisphere where we've um, developed our livestock systems since um, the, the war, I guess, in, in a way that's been on a single trajectory towards very specialised, very intensive forms of production, um, which is contributing to most of our food animal production in, in this part of the world. Um, and that trajectory has been on a um, in, in pursuit of single outcomes, really, towards production efficiencies, uh, which is completely understandable in the sort of post-war mm. era when food rationing was you know a very real memory and mm -hmm. food security was a real problem and i think that that is that is justified um but now we understand quite clearly the impacts and the consequences of increasingly um intensive forms of agriculture and increasingly specialized form of agriculture be it dairy poultry pigs beef sheep aquaculture uh, and some of the smaller um, species too and and so I think we need to now acknowledge that yeah we've moved on and that we need to look at it through a much more holistic lens looking through um, looking at not only the economics but also animal welfare the social outcomes and certainly the environmental outcomes of food production which are becoming a very stark um, reality and, and we we definitely understand now that food animals do have a, a significant environmental impact and it's understanding where we can mitigate that impact, where we need to reduce production, but where we can also capitalise on, on livestock, be they, again, hoof stock or uh, feathered feathered creatures um, in whatever system. So mm -hmm. utilising the right animals in the right systems, in the right numbers, the right breeds, etc., in the right place um, to actually help us, again, to regenerate our, our food system and our landscape and still provide that vital source of um protein and, and mm. um minerals as well and, and the nutri nutrients that we know are quite special to to food animal products um so i think we've got a big rethink to do a lot of research to do um and i do think that plant-based or plant certainly plant-rich diets are a massive and important part of our future i'd say that many of us have shifted now towards a, a less but better kind of ethos around our own personal um, eating um, and if not some people have gone obviously vegetarian and vegan in the process which yeah is very very supported by the evidence but I'd say that um, the flexitarian movement and the less but better movement has possibly got the most potential for taking many of us the majority of us with them on that journey without alienating without compromising cultural mm. values and all of the rest I think that that would be where I would sit and and but I do have big sympathies from on both sides of the debate actually um i think veganism and vegetarianism again very very you know very very noble and um a great thing to do if that's the right choice for you and your family but at the other end of the spectrum those that are massive advocates of a, a sustainable farming industry involving food animals that also has a, a major part to play yeah wow and what about um, what about the idea that we should all be eating insects rather than beef yeah pork? Fact, i'm yeah. happy with that Mm. <laughs> oh yeah, what would be your your insect of choice, Mike? Me, I I quite like uh, chili fried grasshoppers. Oh yeah, I was going to say grasshoppers are locusts yeah. for me. Yeah. Really yeah. nice. Have you got experience? You seem like you've got a lot of experience with. It. Nor Delia. Delia wouldn't have cooked it, mind you. Delia <laughs> was quite good at uh, utilising a whole animal, wasn't she? Um, but you, now you mentioned something again that's that's again new to me here. Now this is obviously because I'm a guy of a certain age, but you mentioned the less but better movement mm. 
Yeah. Yeah. What what, it, what is the lesson? Because I'm I'm a great believer in in balance. Mm-hmm. But you're not going to get me vegan. I was vegetarian yeah. for 14 years. I was quite ill. Um, I've moved back right. to meat, and and meat mm. forms the, the, the probably the, the majority of my protein intake. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I do like to think of things in balance. Yeah. But call me old fashioned or, or, or cranky or whatever. Yeah, that's it. That's what I yeah. like to think of, of everything in balance. Yeah. Leave nothing but footprints, take only photographs. Yeah. But you mentioned less, less but better. What, yeah, so it's all in this? relation all in relation to sort of food animal um production and consumption, basically. So even the BVA have put out a statement on, on less but better championing this as a an approach to mitigating environmental um sort of harm i suppose as a result of farm animal production but also admitting you know also saying that this is um, an important form of of food production and that small sorry i must i must just say i must just say sorry but bva to our listeners who may not be a professional is is the british veterinary association so so, sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you sorry no really good point yeah sorry i forget that so yeah the british veterinary association is really worth looking up because i think it's quite unprecedented that a veterinary organization has come out with that sort of statement Mm. i think it's it should be applauded really they've also put forward um a choose their choose a short campaign which basically follows on from that and says that if you do want to look at your labeling and, and choose what you consider personally to be better then these are the labels that you can look at look out for and these are the attributes of these different labels so in the uk we have red tractor rspca assured we have various organic stamps we we have various um scottish and welsh stamps for assured farms as well so you can see what what sort of production systems are aligned with your own values and, and you can look out for those stamps which is again um, really unique i think for a veterinary association mm. to support consumer choices um around around what food they should be looking for on the supermarket you mean citizen shelves. choices yeah citizen choices yeah well, <laughs> i'm sorry laura Continue. There we go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. strike one for mike <laughs> sorry laura no i do apologize do you know what i'd recognize i felt myself that i did that and i thought nobody will notice but yeah let's go better is all about the, the, the concept and it's not not everybody is behind it but basically um slimming down on your uh, food animal consumption um, and when you do choose it choose as best as you can afford basically um right. both from an animal welfare point of view and for an environmental stewardship kind of point of view um so there's quite there's, there's a fair bit of um lots of lots of papers out there and, and lots of guidance around that there's a an organization called eating better here in the uk which is a, a consortium again of, of food um um and sustainability ngos so um a really interesting group of um group of backers um that that support a 50 percent reduction in food animal consumption basically meat uh, milk and mm-hmm. eggs um right. as part of our choices here in the uk and other kind of western nations so mm-hmm. quite an arbitrary reduction i'd say because it depends on what you know what how much your family uh, might uh, eat on a day-to-day basis but absolutely for lots yeah. of us, it's quite a sensible it's quite a sensible sort of sensible and tangible guideline i suppose um right mm. so yeah yeah and i guess to a great extent um you, you mentioned the, the 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 poorer countries of the world needing at the moment needing that that meat protein uh, more than than the rich countries do a lot of that is to do with with education as well as resources isn't it and i know that that uh, the majority of of people who are 
not well, I'm not talking about you, Mike, but, but uh, the majority of people who become vegetarian or vegan who, who are unwell, uh, and let me, I need to clarify that because I don't, don't have vegans phoning and saying, I think, ben, I think Brenda is a vegan. The majority of vegans She's our are, top fan are very, very healthy. Very, very healthy. But yeah. of those vegans that aren't very healthy, the majority of them are not very healthy because they haven't had the education required to tell them what bits mm. of a vegan diet they should be taking, what what what, yeah. what they need to have. So they just think, okay, I'll yeah. have whatever I used to have, yeah. but Without. I won't have meat. And yeah. so they still have oven crunches, uh, yeah. other forms of processed potato are available and are also unhealthy if eaten yeah. uh, to the exclusion of everything else. Um, yeah. And then not having a balanced diet. And so that's that's part of the problem, isn't it? It's the education to, to have um, the knowledge of what you should eat. And we're very lucky. We're, we're privileged in, in this country. The majority of us have the education to know what we need to, to eat and the education as well to know that actually our animals can share with that. Uh, and by animals there, I mean our pet animals. So, um, you know, I, I want to eat healthy. I want to have good food. I want my my dog or my cat to have good food. And, and if, 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 um, if you want to make your cat vegan, then hopefully you're all educated enough to know that actually, no, that's not going to happen. You can't make mm. cats vegan uh, because they, they are you know, obligate. Uh, meat eaters so there is a great need for for driving an understanding of mm. of eating and nutrition generally because otherwise yeah. what we're going to do is end up with a complete imbalance we already have an obesity problem in this country uh, yeah. and in all of the um, we, overdeveloped um, countries and we overconsume protein that's the first thing mm. regardless of what type of protein is in the western world we overconsume protein full stop which means that has yet yeah, resource problems and pollution problems that result um so yeah we, we, we have that to start with so not mm. only do we do we need to reduce our meat consumption many many families many individuals probably do but uh, we also actually need to reduce the whole lot of protein because we don't need quite as much as we're, we're consuming there's a very entrenched um societal um sort of i guess norm um towards these these very meat-based set types of meals that you would feed your family midweek or at the weekend and it's easy to put together you've got your central source of protein be it chicken or whatever it is um, and we all are very familiar with that type of meal and cooking that sort of food is easy you don't need to think about it very much you know it's going to taste good if you cook it right and um, putting together a, a balanced vegetarian or vegan meal takes much more consideration um, and thought around yeah, the protein and also the, the the nutrients that go into it I think it's perfectly perfectly plausible mm. obviously perfectly possible to put together a really nutritious meal um, and to raise kids on those sorts of diets as well as long as you're mindful of what you might need to um, yeah. what you might need to add in there so I think that's important um, and the substitution effect you touch on as well so if we are going to go for a less but better or even a plant rich or a plant-based diet then substituting um plant-based processed foods 
um, for your meat is is also something to be considered. So um, some of those, I'm not saying some of those are as harmful as produce, producing beef that's raised mm. in, um, you know, the Amazon, for example, of course not. But there are instances where some of those um, proteins aren't produced in a, an optimal way. And there is a place for regenerative um, agriculture for all our types of food. So it really is not limited to livestock. It's, it's again, horticulture crops etc so um there's, yeah. there's a there's a way of producing these plants as well much much better um and a way of integrating livestock into those systems for optimal sort of ecosystem health as well so um the, and touching on again overconsumption that is an that is one of the many forms of food waste going on so in certain western nations we're we're, we're wasting half of our food from farm to, farm to fork and a lot of that is um, yeah, on farm where we sort of lose animals to disease, we um, there's harvest losses, etc. There's pests and all of that sort of stuff. In transport and um, in processing and in supermarkets, there's a lot of food waste, but also obviously in our consumer kitchens. So it's gone all of that way. It's it's had all of that footprint. It's had all those people mm. working on it and thinking through it and putting together this food for us, and then it's wasted in the kitchen, um, which is which is pretty tragic, really. Um, but yeah, what what I was getting at there. I suppose is that when we overconsume, um, which we many of us do here, um, that is a form of food waste that, that needs to, needs to go. Up. And our pets as well, of course. We're you know, pets, many yes. of us pets. Let's get, let's get to pets. <laughs> I have got Safe a Vietnamese cat. Let me just put that out there. Like my cat is just an absolute uh, a walking example of my terrible veterinary skills. Like it's just is unbelievable. Is, is um, it not so her that, glands though? See. <laughs> <laughs> How do you know, as a uh, as a citizen who's interested in food, how do you know that that food has been produced with with better sustainability, with better mm. husbandry, just better food? Yeah, it's a really, really good question. So, and going back to COVID briefly, I think this is COVID has really increased our interest and knowledge as a society on on what good food looks like and how precious it is and again back to that whole supply chain how hard it is to you know when when the food when the shelves at the supermarket were, were laying bare and they were for a while weren't they mm. whilst the supermarkets were kind of scrambling to adapt when um food has been diverted from the hospitality sector and to the retail sector and and we're focused obviously on home cooking and baking in a big way um and milk was being poured down the drains at, at the farm gate on dairy farms which was just tragic to see but those that had contracts obviously with the hospitality sector and with the coffee coffee um coffee shop chains i've been baking all my own bread since the oh, first nice. lockdown is that 16 kilo very good my third 16 kilo bag of flour Lovely. Oh, it's satisfying. We've gone to those now as well since COVID. It's so satisfying. So um, you've just disappeared off screen to grab hold of a great big plastic bag containing 16 <laughs> kilos of... Very good. Okay. So yeah, to show off, sorry show off about, about his bread baking. I, I no, do apologise. This, this is good radio, isn't it? This is good work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think, I, think, I think you're right, though. I think, I think um, yeah, it's just so important, but how do you do it? So I think a lot of people are now more knowledgeable about where local food supplies can come from when those supermarkets were kind of taking days a couple of weeks to adapt and they did adapt you know and they mm. did it very very well actually in the end and um but there's just in time sort of logistics networks that that food industry relies on is there's no slack in the system for for change at, at systemic level and that's what happened it was a systemic shock um and and it was and, and people were obviously panicking so 
Um, whilst that settled, a lot of people then went to look for local food um, produce from local um, allotments or th their own gardens or um, looking for the local veg box scheme, looking for local milk deliveries and, and all of those. You, you, you had a job to subscribe to those if you tried. If you hadn't already signed up, they were just absolutely inundated. And a lot of those subscribers have now stayed on the books for some of these small um, some small veg box schemes, and that sort of thing, which is mm. just brilliant. Um, and I think if you can do that and it is, it is a bit more expensive in my experience if you go for an organic veg box scheme of course but um it does it does force you to do a bit of meal planning to um utilize um local and seasonal ingredients and and, and it does reduce your packaging and waste as well if you choose the right one um again milk deliveries in glass bottles are brilliant you know you've got reliable supply you mm. um you're reducing your your plastic consumption at household level but i think if you're in the supermarkets and um, then there's there's a few things you can do and um, you do have to swat up a bit as a as a citizen on your um food labels and to start to to, to recognize what you're looking for so there are some that are a little bit more tricky than others um and it depends what your price bracket is and what your values are but you might want to look out for rspca assured if you're really into your farm animal welfare like i am and that's a really really solid scheme for animal welfare across the board whether it's dairy whether it's pork whether it's chicken beef whatever it's it's a really solid scheme that's now you know into is internationally renowned as being you know the, probably the highest for animal welfare it's really very good and there's other schemes in different countries as well yeah. um across scandinavia and, and other countries that have got these recognizable animal welfare stamps um if you're looking at organic then there's a number of number of schemes that you can look out for so soil association organic farmers and growers for example or the eu um uh, organic scheme as well which is kind of the basic organic and, and that will give you mm -hmm. um some anti um some animal welfare credentials and environmental credentials relating to um sort of reduced use of pesticides reduced use of antibiotics uh, and other other harm you know potentially other harmful chemicals on the land um and so that's pretty good for a sort of a, a general across the board sustainability label but um but is, is expensive for, for some consumers or citizens yeah. um and then you've got the sort of yeah. baseline sort of um the more baseline type of schemes like red tractor which really tells you that the food is produced to a certain sort of pretty basic standard but does tick certain boxes on animal welfare antimicrobial usage and environmental stewardship but again it's quite basic so that'll be the scheme that as a bare minimum you should be looking out for but anything above that that you can afford be it rspca assured be it organic um be it leaf which is um linking in the environment environment and uh farming that's a really good scheme that's again quite quite across leaf. the board good for yeah leaf yeah leaf. linking in environment and farming yeah yeah leaf. okay i'm losing my confidence there but i'm pretty sure that's what it yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah that, that's, that's, a, that's another good one to look out for so and then you've got the, the you've then got the sort of slightly more nuanced um supermarket labels which might say for certain retailers it might say outdoor bread for pork or um it might say free range for pork and you can then not necessarily see a stamp, but you might see that in the words, that's what their marketing claim is. And that, that means various things for the way in which pigs are produced and the, the sows are produced, which for me is is really important. So the com the close confinement systems in farm animal production are, are sort of some of my key interests and, and where I would love within my lifetime to see significant change. So we've, we've made great strides around sort of battery chickens um, mm. and laying hens. And mm. I think a lot of the retailers now, you know, for, certainly for their shell egg supply, they will only supply, um, will, will only supply cage free, which is great, be it barn or, or free range. 
Um, and even the likes of McDonald's, they in the UK, they only sell uh, woodland eggs that go into all of their sort of muffins and some of their some of their breakfasts as well. So and are, a, are they actually awareness around that? Uh, other other fast food producers are available. Yeah. They, no, 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 no. That's, that's, that's our buzzword, not, uh, not a problem anyway. But um, are they, uh, I'm asking this as devil's advocate, woodland eggs, is that a gimmick or are they really guaranteed to be free ranging around a nice little woodland with perhaps a stream running in the middle and... Uh, yeah, so, so I'm glad you touched on that. FI actually did a project several years ago with DEFRA funding um, and with a large fast food restaurant as well, um, looking at the um, looking at the the benefits of of, of trees, <laughs> yeah, exactly. looking at the benefits of trees to um, to to laying hens and and well, I think it was to broilers at the time, but to chickens basically. And they and we found at the time that actually. Um, providing some form of tree cover even if it's five percent tree tree cover on a free range for, for laying hens um not only um not only only um obviously have the environmental benefits of, of having trees there but also increased um increased grade a egg um supply so increase increase the um, quality of the eggs and reduce mortality as well so just planting trees had these incredible kind of one health benefits which should be no surprise if you actually think about the origin of the anglo-asian jungle fowl which is what yeah, yeah. chickens have come from that's their natural they're, they're environment birds. where yeah the yes, birds and they yes. and they don't want to feel threat from predation from aerial predation and so, be, so the tree the canopy cover made them feel mm. more secure and, and, that, and that was it was it was a, a better essentially a better quality of life for them yeah oh yeah much, much is, so yeah and it encourages them to range want. beyond the the, the sort of boundaries of the of the shed so you sometimes get these free range systems without trees where the chickens don't really leave don't really leave the house you know, they've got lots of pop holes but they don't tend to leave and you'll get a few a few birds mm. behaviorally that like to range but not they won't they won't be keen to, to to stray too far from the from the sort of confines of the and security of the house but planting trees helps them to to range much further um which is great for leg health and all and all sorts as well and can be good for the environment um mm. too but um so yeah it's, it's really important so woodland eggs is, is not a gimmick um it depends on the percentage of tree cover but as a standard it's been sort of five percent for um certain um brands and for the rspca assured but to my understanding it's gone up to 20 percent now for rspca assured which means wow. greater, well, that's tree, greater tree cover. yeah yeah, well, yeah. one of my girls really good. range quite quite freely through the garden and uh, i found out one day why she was doing this she was hunting mice Oh. Hunting mice. Wow. She was hunting mice. She was the one that would catch the mice. And wow. then one of the other girls would come out from the pen because they'd then fight over the carcass of the mouse. My goodness. Gosh, you that's, that that's mad. They're Killer raptors. chickens. Chickens yeah. are raptors. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it should be no surprise. Yeah, proper omnivores. Yeah. yeah. Ch chickens are dinosaurs, think... let's face yeah. it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> See. No, I didn't I mean, have velociraptors in my house. There were chickens. You, you no, saw one. You, you ultrasounded one once. I did. I did ultrasound one of his chickens. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. I mean, this, this is great because we've we've covered a lot of stuff that the, the general population and and our, our non-veterinary friends can get into. Mm -hmm. And you've blown my mind with this regenerative farming. Mm. That's that's just, oh my god, I want to be a part of that. That's mm. that's just fantastic, Laura. Mm. I appreciate you sharing that but some of our a fair proportion of our audience are working in veterinary medicine mm. they're, they're in small animal practice or they're in practice 
every day. And I'm wondering, is, is there anything you've, you've talked about vet sustain? Mm-hmm. Can we explore vet sustain? Yeah. And, and, and what, what we can do, what, what, a, what a nurse can do on Monday morning, what a yeah. vet can do Monday lunchtime. Yeah. Because I'm I'm getting the feeling yeah. here. One of my big buzz things. Um, I'm now I'm now a grandfather. I know it's hard to believe, but I am oh, now nice. a grandfather at the age of twenty. My goodness! So people who are listening to this program, Mike, in, in his first flush of youth, is uh, is now a grandfather. It's incredible what what uh, what cryogenics can do. Sorry, do take your own. <laughs> Thank you, Julian. You're welcome. <laughs> well, I've, I've personally, I, I share a, a personal thing with you. Uh, I've, I've been, I've always been petrified about what sort of planet I'm leaving behind for my children. And now I'm a grandfather. Mm, yeah. And that just ups the ante mm. exponentially mm. because, you know, I, I can see that before this planet gets too hot, I'm going to be off. Yeah. I'm sorry, everybody. You know, I've had my fun. I've driven the big engines. I've traveled all over the world. Um, I've, I've documented the demise of the polar bear. It saddens mm. me. I had those chances. Sorry, you guys, you kids aren't going to get mm. that. You pick up the tab. Yeah. You've got mm. to pick up the tab. But now mm. I've got a whole other generation. Mm. And how old is your youngest grandchild? Is that of interest? My youngest grandchild is um three months old. Yeah, wow, oh, congratulations. It is scary, and that's mm. this is when this is when the pivotal moment for me happens as well. When I had my daughter and two years ago, right. two and a half years ago, and it's and it's it's seeing her lifetime stretch out before you <laughs> far beyond your own and mm. realizing what sort of legacy we were leaving and how we were kind of dragging our heels thinking, oh it'll be all right and somebody will something will happen you know um and the, the truth is it's yeah it can't be left to one individual group it can't be left to a single government you know it's it's, it's got to be this groundswell and i think there has been in the last 18 months certainly a, a zeitgeist um thanks to the likes of greta thunberg and extinction rebellion that mm-hmm. has, have kind of put a, a rocket up our backsides mm-hmm. in, in lots of ways and um that's and when david also came along too and david Atom, yeah let's mm-hmm. not yeah let's not forget good old david he's incredible and um and many many others at grassroots level as well like it's it's just People have been like, yeah, guys, we've been we've been talking about this for a while. And now you're all jumping <laughs> on the bandwagon with your Instagram accounts. And, you know, there's people yeah, there's people that are just, yeah, um, that are doing incredible work. So um, and, and now I'm a relative newcomer to this, but 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 just as passionate. And I think um, now's the time for all of us to start, you know, start really shaping up. And, and veterinary practices are a great place, a great place to start that. So mm-hmm. if vets are not quite sure how to knit together their own climate activism in their own you know private lives and their veterinary work because it is a bit like you know how can i make this happen with a veterinary practice and mm. maybe a management team that's yeah. yet to get on this bandwagon and how do i yep. well you know vet sustain is trying to make that easier to open those conversations and mm-hmm. um i'm glad you asked because this friday presumably well bef- you know well um 
this will go out well after the, the, the publication of our Green Abetomy Practice Checklist, but we have a, a very practical guide to how Abetomy Practice can um, adopt more sustainable practices and principles um, amongst uh, their team, empowering everybody in the team um, and starting to take meaningful steps. And it's, it's kind of UK based, I'd say, with some practical um, independent links to resources that we recommend, but certainly can be adopted and kind of repurposed for um, for vets and, and vet practices in different countries. So. Um, so yeah, we'll, so we'll can talk we can we take a like. step can we take a step oh, yeah. back on this then, Laura? Yeah. So this is this is an initiative put out by Vet Sustain. Yeah. And you called it the is the the green veterinary practice checklist and yeah maybe i should just okay. quickly explain better sustain because we are we're a collective please do of, um, please do yeah we're, we're a collective of volunteers hopefully soon to be more than that if we can um if we can get going and you know with with funding and things but basically we're a collective of veterinary surgeons um and members of the wider veterinary community um right. that intend to enable and inspire veterinary professionals um and by that we mean vets vet nurses vet technicians practice managers um, all members of the vet-led team, really, and, and wider than that still. Um, right. But, yeah, all members of the vet-led team to kind of drive change towards a more sustainable future for future generations, but also, obviously, for ourselves. And, and this is for the benefit of the animals under our care, the animals beyond our care, um, and, and and all of all of the rest of sort of the natural world as well. So we're, our big issues that we are tackling, um, the big four, if you like, would be um, climate change, biodiversity loss, public health issues, very, very current, um, and animal welfare issues that are still entrenched in our, mainly in our domestic species. So we, we've got a recognition that the sustainable development goals and how veterinary professionals contribute to those SDGs are all inextricably linked. And we we could never really extract climate change from that conversation as a single issue. It's, it, for us, it's all linked and, and therefore we have to tackle them all. We're not saying that we're going to, of course, do it alone. It's all about trying to empower others to take change, to make changes. Um, and we're, we're also certainly acknowledging that there are loads of veterinary groups that are working on single issues, multiple issues and, and making great strides. So certainly around sort of health and well-being and that sort of thing, around public health, around animal welfare. But but would say that some of those groups are working in relative isolation on specific topics. And I think Vet Sustain has this opportunity to kind of span across multiple issues and, and um, highlight where they're where they're linked and where, where we can where, where vets have a, a remarkable opportunity as kind of custodians of animal welfare, but also as interdisciplinary practitioners and researchers that understand One Health. And One Health, for your listeners that don't know, is the concept that the animal, human and environmental health are, are all linked um, and you can't separate them. And, and that's, you know, never more true today and again in COVID time. So mm. um, it's, it's really important that, that we start sort of um, actually put in these one health principles into practice and that's where that sustain hopefully will be operating you've you've just linked environmental health into one health yeah I, i've got a feeling i mean call me call me naive or or, or slow or, or or some other insult that's appropriate i don't really mind <laughs> Not at all. Um, for me one health for for a long long time has been the animal human health yeah, yeah. I, I must admit that's the first time i've heard of environment really? being brought yeah. in it and it makes perfect sense it, it, absolutely it's the, it's the whole the whole biscuit there isn't it yeah for us it's a triad absolutely um right and and so and so you can't sorry i should say yeah. other um other big crime syndicates do exist 
exactly. Yeah, mafia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yakuza. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yakuza. We 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 don't want to be. Yeah, we don't want to be singled out by one because we've mentioned another. Yeah. Exactly. The, the Isle of White posse. Yeah. yeah. We don't. Want to oh, be well, they're just they're just across the water for me. Yeah, we can hear the yeah. rumblings and like. Oh, they'll be on the ferry. They'll be on the ferry to Portsmouth yeah. no time. Yeah. Not going to anyway. God, jeez. Yeah, but... I do apologise. Sorry, Laura. Come, Sorry. come on, Laura. You, you've just brought. Laura, you are blowing my mind tonight with <laughs> with great ideas, great things, actions, positive actions that most people will be unaware of that are going on. Mm. And you know, for our for our delicate and well chosen audience, I'd like you to share this stuff. Mm. Yeah, but to bring no, environment, talk about it. Yeah, it, yeah, it makes yeah. perfect sense. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And because it's absolutely in there, and um, you know, there's there's so many examples of where breaking down an ecosystem or um, sort of harming the natural world in some way causes the emergence of health or hu- human or animal health challenges. There's just so many um, to, to, to talk about. But um, but yeah, it's it's all in there. And, and so sort of fragmenting any ecosystems is, is going to result in, in in potential human or animal health um, problems. So. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely in there. And um, yet yeah, we, we feel um, a, a duty bound really to start talking about these about these issues in a, in a very mm-hmm. coherent way with, like I said before, with very practical um, actions, which is where the, the Green Event and Practice Checklist comes in. Is We're starting with veterinary practitioners, um, but we certainly don't leave out the veterinary professionals working in industry, academia, in NGOs, um, you know, in teaching institutions. And um, there's many of the roles and I'm one of them. I don't I don't work in practice and I can see where this checklist can also come into my own working life as well and, and home life. So hopefully there'll be something for everybody. But it's coming out on Friday. Um, so it will be out by the time this goes um goes to press if you like and um it's it's in collaboration with the british veterinary association the society for practicing veterinary surgeons and the british veterinary nursing association so it's a, a four you know there's four partners in this who have all approved and um rubber stamped this kind of way of working hopefully um that will inspire some people to adopt um new is, ways is there anywhere working. i mean so so i go into work in a practice on monday morning is there anywhere I can access this this checklist and, and just yeah, download absolutely. it and stick it on the yeah. wall? That's it. It's a downloadable poster and a, a load of social media um, tools, but it's also a big, big um, web page full of links as well, hyperlinks with where you can go for various specific products or various services to help your help your practice, help your team. So it's on the Vet Sustain website, which is vetsustain.org, and, and it will right. be prominent on there um, as, in, as in the next few days. Yeah. And, and are you are you targeting the corporates? Because I know the, the, the corporates are now, what, 80, 90 percent of, of the total mm. workforce. Mm. Uh, are, and, and so they, they have the, 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 the resources, the infrastructure uh, and, yeah. and structure to, yeah, to, to drive this better. Yeah, now, that's it. Yeah, know, we've been in discussion with lot, with lots of them and I'd say lots of them mm. are kind of friends of Vet Sustain in some, in some capacity. Um, they're, they're a real engine for change. Some of them have got their own sustainability um, in-house consultants mm. now which is brilliant like they, they probably don't need help from Vet Sustain but they've got their own experts on board that have worked in various other sectors on sustainability and um, some of them are accredited now or becoming inc- accredited with investors of the environment and other 
accrediting bodies, which again is kind of a way of holding their hands through the process. So that's another way that they can do it. And um, I guess this checklist is for those practices that are not yet on the on the yeah. on the ladder that can start to start to look towards um, some sort of practical advice. But but yeah, the corporates are a key. As, but there are obviously numerous independent veterinary practices that are starting to come to us for for help too. That that want to make change on an individual or a, a small chain of practice kind of basis um, as well. Wow. Mm. This is fantastic. My, my mind is just full of things we could, we could ask. Is I was, was going to say, I, I, I could talk all night about this stuff. Yeah. You, you're, I'll tell you what, Laura, you're actually giving me hope for the future. Well, that's nice. Thank you. No, you're very yeah. welcome. Yeah. Sort of home, act, home activism is very, very um, yeah. important now. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, I didn't want to belittle that before. It's absolutely, it's absolutely key. Um, you didn't, and you so, belittle it. Those people have really inspired me too. You yeah. see now in, yeah. in front of your face, if you subscribe to the right channels and, and it, it makes sure that you keep, keep doing, doing what, what, what it is that you can do. Um, I have days definitely when I feel quite low about it and climate grief and climate anxiety is a, is yeah. a real thing too. But um, also I found that by channeling some of that through Better Sustain, particularly Better Sustain, which is very grassroots and very practical, it's um, given me a real purpose actually. Um, and so also, yeah, feel, feeling like you can do something that's bringing together a small community or doing something either whether it's in your family whether it's in your wider family and friends, in your community, or brought in your profession, or in in society at large, whichever mm. level you want to try and influence, I think these spheres of influence are really important to see where you can actually start the conversation. And I've found it easier um, not to be talking loads to my family and friends about it. Quite frankly, um, I find mm. it easy to talk to our profession about yes. practical things that they can do of relevance to their day to day work because actually talking about climate change when you meet somebody for a coffee um during covid time is not what everybody wants to talk about it's heavy very, really it's very yeah. difficult and it is a bit yeah it we, is even we though we probably need to do it more and find the words um but yeah, yeah i found it easier via the profession yeah. and not easy but you know i found it much more palatable and well received and um, we've had some difficult conversations there's no doubt about it with through that sure. sustain um but yeah it's um it's been it's been a, a real boost for me mentally and given me a sense of purpose so i'd really recommend trying to think about where you can influence um yeah i think it's been good in that way well it, it is I think, I think it's amazing i think i think what you've shown us more than anything else is that we all have not only a responsibility we know that everyone hopefully yeah. everyone watching or listening to this knows that, that we have a responsibility to, to to mike's grandchildren particularly but 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 also yeah we can direct change as citizens who consume yeah if we direct our consumerism to mm. a different type then the supermarkets will respond will because, respond yeah because yeah. they want that and so all we need to do is to is to buy more compassionately i think is what you're yeah. saying isn't it yeah. Uh, with, yeah. With with every purchase, every every food yeah. purchase, we must actually think: How has this been produced? Mm. Is it has it been produced in a sustainable way? Mm. Has it been produced in the gold standard regeneratively sustainable way? But but if not, if if we can't afford that, has it been produced in a way that is least harmful mm. to? our view of sustainability mm, and i think exactly. if we can do that then the the supermarkets will recognize that actually 
that that's where they're going to go. So they're yeah. not going to produce these five and a half kilo chickens for, for a pound 50 anymore. Yeah. They are going to produce two kilo chickens that actually have are as expensive perhaps as seven and a half kilo ones but we know that we can eat them with a clear conscience thinking Mm -hmm. these have been done using the best possible methods at the moment Mm. and and that will all improve and i I shall write to my favorite gin producers Mm -hmm. make sure because they use sea kelp as their botanical and make sure that the sea kelp they're using is sustainable and that yeah. those sea kelp beds are regenerating. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Sea, yeah. sea kelp. Sea kelp's the way forward, though, isn't it? Yeah, sea, yeah. sea kelp will, will... What, in gin? Yeah. Generally the way forward in Oh, gin. generally, I sorry. Yeah. I love that gin, but generally sea kelp um, has, I think, the, the, the potential to reverse a lot of the carbon dioxide buildup throughout oh. the world. Mm. So, yeah. Okay. Tastes awful, yeah. other other than the sea kelp in gin. Yeah, brilliant. So, so you're up for the sixty second CPD challenge? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So, so okay. Right. I've, I've got my clock ready. Hang on. Okay. I've got my clock ready. Here we go. Yeah. All right. So this this is fantastic. So, so Laura Hyam, you're going to give us sixty seconds CPD on what was your chosen topic? On how a practice, how a veterinary practice can go green. Brilliant. So okay. 60 seconds on how a veterinary practice can go green starting now. OK, so there's four points that you can, that you, four steps that you can take. Firstly, practice responsible resource use. So go renewable, recycle, reduce your single use plastics and responsibly source paper and make a sustainable procurement plan. Secondly, be sustainable in your operation. So look at building design and adaptations, minimise your use of ecotoxic chemicals, enhance your green spaces for biodiversity, use low flow anaesthetics and avoid nitrous oxide, promote animal welfare, promote welfare friendly and sustainable agriculture amongst your clients, create a travel policy, support active forms of travel to work, so cycling and walking, choose virtual CPD and meetings. Thirdly, use your medicines responsibly. So conduct antimicrobial stewardship, avoid avoid, uh, drug wastage and dispose of drugs properly. Fourthly, empower and sustain your team. So support staff wellbeing and development, create a green group and adapt, uh, adopt, good work, <laughs> adopt good veterinary workplace policies. Two seconds over. Well, no, I think the two seconds were, oh. were a little bit of stuttering, which <laughs> blah, 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 is allowable. Blah, blah, blah. And that's fantastic. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. I mean, Absolutely it takes time to, to get to it with all those things. Don't get me wrong. That is a lot to do, but you can take it in your own time. And, I am and so glad. Time. I'm so glad in, in many ways. I'm, I'm so disappointed and so glad in so many ways that we didn't do that at the start. Because yeah. in that 60 seconds, you have covered a cornucopia, a veritable encyclopedia <laughs> of things. We've touched on a few of them this evening as we've yeah. worked our way through, but that would have had us talking till uh, i don't we, know yeah it would have taken a different just, direction wouldn't it but we but, could just know. talk and talk before you came on mike and i were chatting about what we should uh, ask you about and and, mm. and you you hit on all of those and more that, that's absolutely you. amazing well you you've delivered an amazing uh, an amazing 60 second cpd have you uh, julian come on Come on, have you delivered um, have we got a cpd certificate that people I've, can I've got a, I've got a cpd certificate 
So we can That's present it. this to the RCVS then, can we? We, we? we can present this to the RC... Oh, no, no, we can't yet. Well, we can't but, yet because we had CPD, but we haven't fulfilled the RCVS requirements for, for the certification. Uh, we haven't reflected on that CPD. Okay. So, so are we going to reflect on it and then do the certificate? Shall we reflect and then do the certificate? Let's Laura, do that. Would, would you join us in a moment's reflection on the fabulous CPD? Oh, Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. <laughs> We're, we're not just generally blessing Laura. Uh, Laura, Laura sneezed. Laura sneezed. Uh, to, to, to she's covered it up. Quite hard. Yeah, that was magnificently covered. Although, it's great, great. I'm, I'm sure as I'm sure as a medic, you are aware that if you suppress a sneeze, then the intracranial pressure can reach critical mm. levels, and you can do yourself a lot of harm. Mm. It was worth it just for making sure the the, po the podcast flowed. But now we've spent some time talking. It's about very it. good of you. Thank it's you very much for risking. Consider, for, for consider yourself sure. being told off by Granddad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let the sneeze go. Never do that again. Let it go. Next time. Let it go. Let it go. Yeah. <laughs> so, 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 so Laura, reflect, would, yeah. would you would you join us in a moment's reflection on the CPD that you so very generously have provided for us, please? Of course. Fantastic, oh, thank you. Join us in reflection. As ever, I feel we need to apologise to um, to listeners. No, this. no, no, they get music now. They get music, do they? Oh, yeah, well, yeah, stuff yeah. you yeah. then. You, you, you get music, fine. No, they get just music. Reflect. Just reflect. It in this bit, that, you know, just because we're not talking. They, they, right. they just get music. They get mu they get, what sort of music do they get? Um... Well, well, I suggested that they should get some um, heavy metal thrash music. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. Uh, uh, anyway, let's have a look at the CPD certificate, Julian. So, so here we go. Here's, here's apolitically what, the what CPD we got? certificate. What, what we, we got? got? So it says Certificate of Higher Education. Very true. Oh, cool. Yeah. This certifies that each and every one of you lucky people have had your brains drilled and filled in yet another me ramblings. <laughs> totally <laughs> blown, to be honest with you, Julian. Not drilled and filled. I do, I do. Bloody blown. I, if I had a chance to rewrite the CPD certificate during this evening, I would have done so because we've not touched on it. I know in, in your interests, you mentioned beer. So here's here's our local oh, that's beer. That's nice. This is the Snowdonia beer. This is great stuff. Yeah, but Wards and Stones are local to Sheffield. Yeah, yeah, I'd like this. As, as part of the Biology yeah, Society, we used to visit them every couple of months. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> beer, is, beer is good, people. Beer is almost always sustainable and very good. Local beer is, is good. <laughs> well, then, here's a sheep, a picture of a sheep. So, yeah, uh, generic sheep. This is me climbing, and that's me climbing, and that's me climbing. So the rest are, the rest are mainly climbing. And I hope that we were going <laughs> to... Julian. Touch more on the climbing because Mike never lets me chat about climbing. I always try and get it in. And he always Julian, goes, Julian, Julian, Julian. Sorry. We, how could up. you do that? Sorry. We have learned all evening. I know. About thinking of others. Yeah. And about the small <laughs> steps that we can take. No, these are small steps. These are small steps. Look, look how close those steps are on this mountain. Yeah, I know. That was probably before you got airlifted off the mountain. It was immediately before, yes. Yes, exactly. So, shortly off. Yes. yes, okay. We've heard that story before, but we've learned tonight how we can all take some small steps. Baby steps, not big steps. Like, no, no, no. Uh, like yeah, that, that may not make a massive no, no. difference on our own lives, 
but will all contribute to helping the planet carry on spinning through the and and we can and we can then all have better better time for climbing can't we and and um, and better mountaineering you're absolutely right what a what a huge i think it's been a very positive evening i think we've learned ways that we can all take part in stewardship of, of this planet and actually eat more sensibly so what, what was the, yep. the term again eat better less but better less but better eating less i like that as opposed to the normal rugby club more but worse eat less but better <laughs> i really like that with increase of alcohol intake exactly goes quite the opposite way no you know. absolutely have you have you got a joke for us tonight then julian got a joke i've got to just say i don't know whether you know this laura but about this time of, a, of an evening i um i tell a long rambling joke and then mike usually aces it with a funnier one afterwards okay uh, but Im imagine me as a slightly taller ronnie corbett but less funny um and i was <laughs> oh that was, was brilliant and you got it all in 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 about 10 seconds then, no, Julie. no that wasn't the joke <laughs> that's fun no, what no that wasn't that wasn't Okay, now oh. that could be the joke. No, no, no I've got, I'll, I'll go on. I've got, <clears throat> so this, this was some. Um, it's about the uh, the time that, that uh, my wife sent me out to get some bread late at night. She was she was pregnant. She was starving. Uh, she wanted me to get some bread, so I popped out and um, uh, passed by a pub. And I thought, well, I can probably pop in for a drink or so. Not, not a problem. So I popped in and got myself a drink. And as I walked along the bar, there was this gorgeous girl sitting down there. I thought, no, 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 no. no. I'll be, I'll be good, I'll be good. I sat down with my beer, and uh, lo and behold, the girl came over. Started chatting, I said, you know, hey, yeah, big boy, she said to me. So you know it's not about me now. Hey, there, you know, do you want get me a drink. So, you know, we, we, we got to chatting and, uh, and got a few drinks down our bills, and lo and behold, you know, off to her, off to her house. And, uh, and, 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 and next thing I knew, we were making love. Well, after that, I must have fallen asleep. I woke up about three o'clock in the morning and thought, oh my God, what am I doing? This is awful. It's absolutely awful. My wife, my wife is going to kill me. So I, I, I woke this girl up and said, do you have any, do you have any baby powder? And she said, what? Said, do you have any baking, baking powder? Or baking powder, just big little talc or something like that. She said, yeah, yeah I have, yeah. So, so I rubbed it over my hands and said, right, Thanks, thanks for that. I'm off. Bye-bye. And I ran home. And my wife was waiting there with a rolling pin. She said, what the hell have you been doing? And I said to her, well, I'll be honest, darling. I uh, I went to, to the bakery, the all-night bakery. I, I stopped off at the pub, had a few drinks, met this gorgeous girl, and uh, we were making love until about three in the morning. And she said, hold out your hands. So I did. She said, you bastard, you've been climbing with your mates again, haven't you? If that was not such a poor, no, I'm not going to waste that. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to even grace that with any. That, that's just a, that is just so wrong on so many levels. It's wrong. It is wrong. It's wrong. <laughs> that's appalling. I know. Do you expect anything more of me? I mean, what, what have I? Have I let you down in some way? <laughs> no, I, I, I can't dignify that with any response whatsoever. I'm not telling infidelity jokes because that's not what I'm like. <laughs> the only other joke I have was a rude one. I won't tell that. So there we go. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Laura, Laura, <laughs> you, you, you've put up with the joke. I'm sorry about that. I can only apologize. No, I thought it was pretty good, actually. But uh, thank you so much. What a great, what a great night. It's been fantastic, hasn't it? It's, oh, it's, thanks, guys. No, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm really grateful that you've asked, and it's been really nice to talk about things that I um, find interesting. So, yeah, thank you very much. No, it, it, it's been a super show, and I have to say that, uh, Laura Heim, thank you very, very much for joining us on Veterinary Ramblings. And if you've enjoyed what we've been talking about this evening, um, please don't keep it to yourselves. Share it. Share it. Click like below. Subscribe. You can pick us up, as you know, by now on Spotify, iTunes, Facebook, um, YouTube just get involved because this actually the topics we've been discussing tonight actually involve all of us so please do get involved and uh, if you have any questions or any communications send them into us and let's uh, let's take them and we'll do what we can to help laura Hyatt, thank you very very much indeed it's been fabulous having you on and we'd like you back thanks guys consider it done Thank you Brilliant. very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. And come oh, and visit Nick Castle with us. Will do. M- may your dog go with you. May your dog go with you. I, I got my fingers wrong, actually. It, it should be like that, shouldn't it? it? Should be like that. No, it's it's his it's his first finger. He is, lost. It, is, it, is it the index? It's, it's the his in- index <gasps> finger he lost. Right. Yeah. So, so you know so, why we do this, Laura? No. After, after the late great Dave Allen. Okay. Who would always say, "May your may your God go with you." Oh right. And yeah. we just we just change it to "May your dog go with oh, you." Since we changed it anyway, we can change a finger, can't we? Yeah, fair oh, enough. Yeah, yeah. First one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. May your sure. dog go with you. May your dog go with you. <laughs> Laura, I am. Thank you very much indeed. May your dog go with you. <laughs> Thanks, guys. So, yeah. as I'm saying to you, we've just scratched the surface here. I need, yeah. yeah. Oh, tantalizingly wow. scratched it tantalizingly Fantastic. scratched it i'd love to <laughs> i'd love to deep dive into some more of these topics with you because yeah. uh, it, it's uh well what is it grist to the mill i more grist to mill right. <laughs> no, i absolutely loved it absolutely. oh very good yeah right. good Thank it's you. Nice, nice to see you both. Nice to meet you both. Yeah. And you. And I understand who which one's which now. By the time you're two hours down the line, I think I've nailed it. <laughs> we're both the same. We're both the same. <laughs> we're, we're gonna have to see if we can get that kept in. Yeah. You know that that would be so <laughs> awesome. Because you, you're the only person that's had the guts to say it. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone else is. Yeah. And you. I'm calling you Mike Julian. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the Gestalt entity who is Mike Julian. Yeah. yeah, which one's Mike? Which one's Julian? Yeah, no, I love it. <laughs> love it, love it, love it. Laura, Laura, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Very Thank you. Much no, thanks very much. No, that's fine. Been a real treat. Pleasure. All right then. Thanks, guys. Yeah, nice to meet you both. And keep in touch. Take care. Take Thank care. you very much. Bye. 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 Bye.